0: So uh, at the moment, I'm debating. (laughs) We actually, uh, I had thought about this a while back. We've been starting to have long enough services that, you know, it's okay. I would understand if some people come a little bit later because they're like, I'm not sure that I can make it through the whole service. And I appreciate the heart um, in every way because I know that all of us are coming from a different place. But for me, I want to be able to preach this whole message, but I want to also honor my audience too. (laughs) So, you know, you know, yeah, you know what you're gonna get if you give me like good strong amens. When it starts fizzling out, when it starts fizzling out, we'll have to make those changes here. This is a I want this is the second part of this message called out of darkness. And we're going to be back in Psalm 126 because I didn't finish that last time. I'm getting good at this preaching thing. I can barely get through a verse each Sunday. I think the reason we can look at, we can at least partly look at the word of God is so rich that if we were actually just to mine out what he has put in just one verse alone, the infinite reality that each of those verses have we could spend a lifetime in one verse. I think if we honestly consider how rich and how full is the meaning of each word, each jot and tittle of the Scripture, and not only that, but it's eternal. Let's here go to Psalm 126. When you've gotten there, say amen. Okay, we're there. Psalm 126 says, And when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, For sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we get the richness of your word, Lord, and we get the fullness of the Holy Spirit to impart it to us. Because, Lord, we don't want just the words as they were written. We want the divine revelation and message that comes from your word. Lord, we know that you have to prepare our hearts. Lord, we know we have to have soil in our life that is fresh and ready to receive the seed. And so, Lord, we want to pray for fruitful ground today. Father, I want to pray, Lord, that every heart in this place, Lord, anybody who gets the uh, opportunity to listen to this message will be fruitful ground. Lord, that this will prepare the ground of the heart as well as prepare it for fruitfulness. And Jesus, we so need it today. Lord, we ask You, God, to impart to us another fuller measure of Your grace. Lord, this service has had Your richness in it. Lord, our time together has truly been, Father, blessed. And we will never forget, Lord, all the times that you have came down, Lord, literally from heaven and ministered to us. We ask, God, that you would minister your word in his conviction. Lord, we pray for, Lord, its reality in our life. Lord, we pray that Jesus, that your word, Father, would feel like it was tangible and real. And, Father, we just wanted to hold on with all of our might every word that you've given us. Lord, you said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God shall man live. And today, Lord, we are those men, Father, and we know our need. And Lord, we know our vulnerability. But Jesus, we know, Lord, that we are more than conquerors who gave himself for us. So Jesus, because of that, Lord, we just want to pray that you would give us this appetite, Lord, for the scripture that goes beyond this service. The Lord that we would daily not only be reading it, but Father, devouring and receiving, Lord, from you in it. And Jesus, what your message is today, I pray that you'd minister deeply to us. Oh, we give you praise, Lord. Help me with the anointing and the Holy Spirit to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Psalm 126, the latter part of it, because I had preached on the earlier part of it. So I won't go and cover that ground again. I think it was great. How many of you loved last week's message? There we go. There we go. You know, and I think this one goes with it. It's this latter part of this, these, uh, this chapter has been mine to hold on to from early on in my life with Jesus. I spent a good portion of my high school days after being saved, after the Lord delivering me from the darkness of sin and the darkness of my mind. And I remember going into my room praying and, and crying tears, pouring out tears over my, the altar of my bed, over souls and the the kids in my high school. At the time I was going to Walla Walla High School, I don't remember how many students they had there, but it was a lot of students. And uh, there was a lot of young people there. And you didn't see a lot of commitment and faithfulness to Jesus among the youth. And so I felt this tremendous deep burden from the moment Jesus birthed me and gave me new life. I felt this need to be a witness. But I also felt this excruciating struggle of a young boy that had grown up in an alcoholic home and in a desperate situation coming to that place of actually being able just to open my mouth and share with others. Yes. But when you find the valuableness of what Jesus does, it feels like it's a heartbreak to see so many without it, And that's what it felt like to me. It was beyond a heartbreak. And I know the Lord was there in those moments. Man, I could tell you sometimes of just alone, and I could only imagine what you would share with me, if you could, of those moments that you spent alone with God, and you cried, and you poured out your spirit to the Lord, and you saw how the Lord had ministered to you through through that. Well, I think for any of us who have had not just natural weeping, not just natural tears, but spiritual tears, you know what I'm talking about. These kinds of Scriptures are your hold on. These are your precious promises. And you've got to remember that there's a time of sowing and there's a time to reap. There's a time to receive the harvest from those times that you have spent working and laboring in prayer. And here we see this first part of it. And I call this the heart. Those that sow in tears. This is the heart. I want to read one scripture. Uh, I just want to go back to the one portion of this that I had just read. And the Lord has done great things for them. I want you to glean this thought. The Lord has done great things for them. It's as if there's a community of others that are looking back on us or on this community that he's talking about and saying they're now observing this magnificence of what God has done. And I kind of feel like there's a day coming. I feel like there's a time for us where there's going to be a community of people that's going to not look on us going into church and shake their head and think, that's so weird. But they're going to say the Lord has done great things for them but we're going to return again because we've been in the midst of it. We've been the ones who received it. We've had the life that's come from the Lord, and we're going to say from a very tangible way, the Lord has done great things for us. But well, what I see in this is that is this as if the psalmist is crying out in his prayer and saying, whatever in all of creation that can be altered to give God praise, in every direction, in every place, from the outside of the church on the inside of the church, that we pray that there would be an alteration in the community. And this attitude, like God is recognized, and there's this awareness of the magnificence of the Lord. And so I think that this is more than just, I think, a testimony. And I'm not exactly sure. But I think that in part, this is a prayer going forward. This is an expectation. This is a dream of when captivity is turned away. And when the people of God have literally become a new and fresh testimony for the Lord, what it might look like in the heart of that person as they're praying. And they're seeing something that's really important. And I think this is the thing, folks. As we pray for a community-wide revival, as we pray beyond Willow County and expect God to do amazing things, we're going to be praying these kinds of things. Lord, from horizon to horizon, from sky to sky, would You go from the east from the west, would You draw Your praise from every direction? Because we cannot live in an atmosphere where we know that there's still one more that's not praised, praising You and knowing You for the God You really are. And so there's this boldness to pray for the sake of the glory of God. And you begin to capture more and more why that's your reality. And it's not about me and about what I get and what I'm going to get out of this and what I want out of this. This is about, Lord, I'm hungry for more of your praise. Not only do I love to give it individually and by myself, in my private chamber, in my private place, but I want to see this done in public. I want every mouth and every heart to proclaim His praise. And you know what it means because you've been born again. You know what it means to have that regeneration and God make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know what it's like to just be born out of the birth canal of God and say, Lord, I love what You've done in my life. My whole life has changed. I'm altered. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. Nothing is the same. I'll never be the same again. And coming out of that, this whole new world and looking at the world completely different. And I think that's the heart cry here: is God, You need the praise. That this praise should be as big as you are. We need to praise you that way. Here's the sign that God is giving us victory, is that we are as hungry to see Jesus glorified as the Father is. Jesus had made that prayer to the Father. His last kind of breathing prayer was, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. You know, behind every miracle you pray for, everything you ask God to do, Everything that You know will require a miracle and a move of God's supernatural power. You remember just this one thing. Father, that You would glorify Your Son through this miracle. You would glorify Your Son in saving that soul. You would glorify Your Son in delivering them from the judgment to come and the dark days that are yet to unfold if they don't surrender to Jesus. And if they don't get themselves washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Jesus, for your sake, for your glory, oh God, one more soul. Just one more soul. And God, breathe the passion inside of us just to see this glory in His name. Hallelujah. The heart. You know, it begins with the heart, doesn't it? They that sow, Those who sow in tears. Those who sow in tears. This is, this is the Word of God speaking to us about the heart. Of the church, the heart of the believer, because there's a thing there, there's a reason why we're in tears is because we don't see the outcome that we want to see. We want to see more than we, we are. we love what Jesus has done and we give him the glory for that, but we want to see more for his sake and so we're sowing in tears, and this is the heart of the whole matter because I think when we're talking about tears we're saying this has gone beyond just a sense of frustration. This has gone beyond a point in which we just want to see something and we're, we're struggling with the idea. Now we're moved to the place of tears. And tears speaks of the heart. For every one of you that have had time of tears, when you're just praying, what I meant was spiritual tears, and you've prayed the will of God, and you know you've prayed the will of God, and you haven't seen it come to pass, but you're hungry to see the Lord glorified. And those tears, every single one of them, God has kept in store. And you know He has, and I know He has. And never lose the confidence that the heart behind it. Remember what God said to David, that the Lord was the one who pays attention to the heart of man. God, see, He's after the heart. The whole matter is the heart. The reason why so many lose the ground in the area of prayer is because they don't pray from the heart. They pray a religious prayer or a motive that's driven by selfishness. But when we finally get in God's corner and we find it the way Jesus wants, there's going to be tears oftentimes. There's a hard expression behind it. And you just can't get away from the heart of the matter. And Jesus hears the heart. Oh, He hears the heart today. He knows the heart of every person. He intimately is acquainted with everything that goes on in the inner chambers of your heart. And He knows it. And when you've had tears and you've poured it out because you couldn't put it in words. You couldn't put it in language. There wasn't in in, in any way that you could say it. But there was a language of prayer called tears. And you gave God everything you had. And you know, there's some beautiful moments where the Lord just shares with you His burden. He just puts that special someone on your heart and you can't get them off of your mind. And you feel what God's heart is in that. And see, the heart is what Jesus is all about. I know that's true. The heart is what Jesus is all about. See, when the righteous are charged with compassion, God is moved to mercy. When the righteous are charged with compassion, God is moved with mercy. You look all over Scripture and you'll find when the righteous cry out, when the righteous get back to that place where they start seeking God, God begins to move with mercy. When idolatry filled the land, when the people had turned away from him and they begin to pray and they prayed with all their heart and they turned from their idolatry and they turned toward the Lord. God had mercy and he will today. He's no different today than he was back then. And he will still have mercy. And this is that I know those of you who are prayer warriors, you know what I'm talking about. You feel the ground in which God is causing you to tremble. I love this. When God said to Joshua, He said, every piece of ground. Listen to this. Every piece of ground that your foot treads upon, I will give it to you as an inheritance. I think God wants to make the same promise, but He's doing it to those who are praying. When you get into the prayer and you tread upon some ground in prayer, you take some ground in the name of Jesus. God begins to pour out his promises to you because you're in his battlefield. Amen. See we want to know how God feels about tears. Just look in the scripture because it's there. you know Jesus wept but let's read this one to you psalm thirty four verses seventeen through eighteen let's go ahead and turn there psalm verse th- chapter thirty four verse seventeen through eighteen I'm so grateful that the Lord it's so not only just compassionate to the hurting, but God is compassionate to those who are busy praying. Yeah. Oh, He knows us. Amen. Give me a, 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 an amen when you get there. Okay, I feel, I should, I should get my mouth here all together. Um, I don't hear any more pages turning. Let's look at it. Psalm thirty-four, verse seventeen through eighteen. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Love that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. He saves. Those who have a contrite spirit have a broken heart. See, this is how God feels about those tears. Tears are often at the peak of true surrender. When we finally let go and we give it all to God, there's finally that place of breaking. And you'll find this is a place that men need to visit. And ladies, I know that you've been there and some of you haven't, but men especially, they need to visit that place where they can weep before the Lord. They've held everything in and they become the strong man and they just know that they can do it. And finally, God has gotten you to the place where you just know that it's all about Him. I can't do it without you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's tears are at the peak of that surrender that I'm giving myself to the Lord and I'm not holding back. I'm all yours. Second, this is the heart of it. Our tears should be as strong as God's burden is deep. As God's burden is deep, our, prayer, our tears should be just as strong. In Jeremiah thirteen verse seventeen, he says this: "But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock has been taken captive." Hear the heart of this prophet who's watching a nation, not just any nation, but the nation of Israel, the people of God, the modern, his modern day church, as it were, falling to the wayside and being taken into captivity. And the most horrendous things happening and he's prophesying to the people that they need to repent and get right with God. And they weren't doing it and they weren't believing Him. But he had the heart for the people. He had the heart for those that he was seeking after. And so you see this is... In the King James Version, it says, Oh, that my head were a fountain of tears, that I might weep for the slain of the daughter of my people day and night. That I, wouldn't just, I couldn't let go of this burden. And there's this sense of if they must be in captivity, then I must be in tears. I have to be broken. I can't be at rest while I see the people in my people without God. Here's a second one still in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh that my head were of waters, here it is, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. It is in burden and continue to increase the more the people begin to fall away. And I think that should be the same and there's a there's a there's a heart to the whole thing. Because it's not like looking at it. The idea is oftentimes we think of somebody who might be in this place is that they just have this black, dark vision over the world. Why can't they just have some kind of joy? But they're looking at it for what it is. And they're having the burden for the heart of God in this. Why would your people turn away? You know, all of us have been acquainted with somebody who probably one time was a Christian, and you watch them, lovingly, maybe holy, what looked like on the surface really served Jesus with all their heart. And then later on, just kind of fall away. And some to this day are still not with us. You know, I have people in my life that were just as, as much a part of my beginnings in Jesus as anybody. And I just watched them slowly just kind of walk away. The, the intimacy, the nearness to God, the love that they had for the Lord is just not there. Genuine repentance is a sure sign that captivity is being broken. So my heart is not only to pray for somebody in need, but my, the time when repentance is actually taking place. We, you know, We talk about faith, but oftentimes we lose the momentum of repentance. Repentance is so powerful because what repentance really is, is my heart has been so changed that I can't go back. My mind on the subject is so altered that I can't be the same person. I can't do the same things again. I'm changed. I'm not just in that per closet attitude of mind, Lord, please forgive me for falling again please keep me forgive me for doing the same thing, the same mess over and over again and so this is a, this is a repentance. A repentance isn't this yes, and I would say if you're falling over and over again, keep praying, keep dealing with it. But I want you to realize that there's a place, a ground of victory that hasn't been established yet. And there's not yet that repentance that needs to be where you can crawl out from under that hole and get free of it once and for all. We wouldn't want to say to the alcoholic or the drug addict, I'm sorry, you're going to just be going through this routine with Jesus every day of your life. Constantly going through the same addiction problems over and over again, but at least you're forgiven. We don't want to give that message. We want to give the whole gospel that says you're set free. You're a new man in Christ Jesus. Those things have passed away. We want you to be a literal testimony. I don't go back to it anymore. I don't have a reason to. Yeah. And That was a dream of my childhood as a young boy, watching my dad grow up as an alcoholic. Lord, deliver him from this bottle. Turn, if you can turn the water into wine, then turn the wine into water. Just change the way in the atmosphere. Give him a whole new heart and make him a new man. See, so there's just something about it. When we begin to see, it's like, God, we're in your corner because we know that in the end, the whole focus is salvation. That's the whole thing. So we got the heart. You know where you go from the heart? You go right to the hope. See, if we can't get to the heart, we don't get to the hope. But if we go, if we can get into what's the heart, we get to get experience what's the hope. So in our word, it says this. They that sow in tears shall reap in tears. Joy. I think that's my uh, my alarm for preaching here. I think it's about time to quit here. <laughs> the hope. So he says, shall reap in joy. Isn't that tremendous? See, this doesn't end in tears. It starts with tears. It ends in joy. And that's the power of what God is doing. So the harvest field of God produces weed Free. I was thinking about that because we've been doing a garden this year and we kind of got something going, but not like I want to have. But you know what kind of garden we'd all be growing if we didn't have any weeds in the gardens that we started? You know, so this is the reason why it starts with the heart because when the hope is there, it's without perversion. See, Jesus doesn't give us a joy that kind of floats back and forth. I love something that Jesus says. I want you to look in... Uh, in John chapter fifteen verse eleven, I want you to capture cap, capture this word John chapter fifteen verse eleven amen, amen. there we go, brother thank you these things I have spoken to you that my joy, you know, Jesus wouldn't have said it if it wasn't important, right? My joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to capture this piece. He says that my joy would just come in and visit you, you know, here and there. Come and every now and then it kind of, it wouldn't stay, but it kind of leave and, and visit you every here and there. Now I'll, we have relatives that do that, and some of us happily, and some of us not so happily. But this is a joy that remains. It says that this might my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. What is it keeping our joy from being full? I'll tell you what, because it doesn't stay, it doesn't last. It's kind of on that human level. But the joy that Jesus gives us is one that remains. You know, something that Jesus had had said, they that are pure in heart shall see God. And there's a kind of joy that leaves us without deception. What kind of price tag would you put on if if there was no deception? I was never in my judgment unclear on something. I was never misunderstanding in a scenario. What kind of price tag would you put on there when you could say that I could go the rest of my life without a sense of deception. I think we would put a whole lot on the value of that. And see, Jesus is saying, they that are pure in heart shall see. I love the fact that He tells us we're going to see. It's going to become crystal clear. You're not going to have deception along with this. It isn't going to be a joy that kind of floats in, in humanity that, has deception along with it, but it's actually going to be weed-free of all those kinds of perversities in our life. Joy is the final outcome of a burden broken. Not of a burden had, but of a burden broken. A soul without a snare. Joy is the final outcome of the mind without entanglement of a lie. Joy is the final outcome of the human spirit free of deception. I'm going to say that one more time. Joy is a final outcome of a burden broken. The soul without a snare. The mind without an entanglement of a lie. And the human spirit free of deception. This is what Jesus does in us. This is why it's so... How could you not have joy? Because here we are. That I don't have a snare on my soul. My mind is without entanglements of lies. I don't have a deception running through my life. Jesus is working in and out of me. See, this is the joy of the Lord because any other joy wouldn't recommend the praises of God. Any other joy wouldn't show the faithfulness of who He is and the magnificence of an omnipotent God that can work in humanity. And we say, but that's not my joy. But that's the joy we're reaching forward to. You're like, Lord, I've experienced joy, and I've experienced joys of the Lord, but not one that feels like it remains not in this way. But can't many of us say that we've had those true experiences of what it means to be without deception? And lastly, this last part of our sermon here is we go from the heart, the hope. Actually, I want to share one other thing in the hope. I'm not going to share the person, but there was somebody that I had known, not somebody here. And um, I'd watched him for a number of years go from kind of these stages of that roller coaster, I'm sorry, Lord, I want to do right, excited about the Lord, fall back into the same pattern again, get back up off that roller coaster. And it was just like there's this up and down. And it was interesting because it was like the struggle still had a hold of his heart. But it also was interesting because it seemed like he had the freedom, the, the desire to be faithful. And he expressed himself that way. And it was like this always heartfelt sense. And I remember him saying to me one day, he said, it's so hard. It's so hard. And you know, when you meet somebody like that, and ourselves sometimes have been in those very things, so I'm sure in our audience here, we're not not speaking to something that's abnormal to folks. But there's something missing in that, isn't there? There's something missing in kind of this up and down and kind of in and out and this struggle that we, we've gone through. And we're like, I've been there and I've kind of gotten through. Is this really the Lord's plan for my life? Yeah. Is this the hope that Jesus delivered for us on the cross? Is this what the resurrection was all about? And certainly not. And it certainly isn't. And I've watched him kind of go through this ebb and flow, so to speak, but not really, of being up and down. And I wonder if what looked like the peaks were never a peak at all. I wonder if he was still in the valley, but he was deceived by what he thought was a peak. I wonder if he had really understood what it was meant to give himself wholly to Jesus. And I wonder if it was because even in the tears, Paul talks about this in Scripture, and he says there's a worldly sorrow that works death. But there's a godly sorrow that brings repentance. And I wonder if he had never truly discovered what repentance was ultimately all about. Now some may be asking the question, well, we all have struggles, don't we? And I would say that's probably true for all of us. We all have the kind of the human tendency. But I want to ask you the question. Have you decided the struggle is just going to always be there? It's always going to be your reality? Because I don't think that that's what Jesus painted for us. I think Jesus painted for us that your hope is in Jesus Christ. And see, the attachment to Him always is going to be, imagine this, I'm wholly attached to my Jesus, but yet I'm falling short. I think when I fall short, when you fall short, it's because, whether we want to admit it or not, we didn't stay attached. We kind of lost our attachment. We gave up some time we could have spent with Jesus or whatever. I don't know, but... The reality is is that that's not the outcome of the heart that's free. One of the things that I've witnessed in his life was that it seemed like for every time that he fell again, there was this new level of discouragement that flowed through. So when I happily think of this reaping in joy, I don't think of him. (laughs) I don't think of this is what reaping in joy looks like. I think of him as somebody who's yet to reap in joy. Somebody who's yet to experience the fullness of what Jesus has for him. So then we have the heart, we have the hope, and lastly, we have the security. Listen to what it says in the last part of this. And it says, As streams, O Lord, as streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again, With rejoicing. Would you catch that piece that says doubtless? He shall doubtless come again rejoicing. What does that speak of? It speaks of a security. It speaks of a guarantee. The guarantee of a promise that is infallible as God is infinite. A guarantee of a promise that is as infallible as God is infinite. See, this is the part that we're all needing to come and enjoy the security of what Jesus says when he says doubtless. Doubtless you shall come again. So when I'm rejoicing, now imagine a farmer. How often would you guys go out if you were a farmer? And some of I don't know, we got any farmers out here? We got a farmer out there and he sows in his field every year. And every year he ends up without a crop. How long is he going to continue this process of not being able to reap the benefits of sowing? Of not putting into the ground? But when he sees this field bearing fruitfulness all over, and you see some of these gigantic fields in our communities, they have, they've been producing well. And this is, this is the reality, is that God is infinitely able to produce in our life everything we need. And so the security is in the promises that God has made, the security of His faithfulness, that I may be weeping for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is coming in my situation. Joy is coming in my family. Joy is coming in my church. Joy is coming in my ministry. I'm not going to miss the end mark of what God has for me. Think of the troubles of Job as he began to pray out. And as he cried out to the Lord and he was patient before the Lord. And in the end, he says, mine eyes have seen the coming, the Lord. Mine eyes have seen him. And that was his joy in life. That was his refreshing and his hope once again. And that man was completely restored. Because God is infinite, there is no grounds for insecurity except that which relates back to us and our fears that disillusion us to God, despite His many advances, to enlighten us of Himself. I'm going to say that one more time. Because God is infinite, there can be no grounds for insecurity, except that which relates back to us and our fears that disillusion us to God, despite His many advances to enlighten us to Himself. So many have struggled throughout the years because they really haven't captured the Lord in the middle of whatever they're going through. Security is not found in relieving us of the temporal. You know, when you think about this, everything we do these days is to keep from having a temporal income, a temporal security. We're always trying to secure something that's temporal, something that's not going to last, something that we're going to have to keep reproducing over and over again. And our sense of security is the moment when it's flourishing in the moment. and But we're continually going back to work trying to re-secure the temporal. And we spend our lifetime trying to re-secure the temporal. And somehow we've gotten locked into this mentality in humanity that security is going to be found when we can finally escape the struggle of the temporal. And there is a sense in that in the eternal. But while we're living in this flesh and blood, that's not our security. It never will be but in a guarantee. Now, this is where the security is, but it's in a guarantee that does not make us slaves to the temporal. Right now, I know that for those who are saved and those who are right with God, beyond this body, beyond this life, beyond this uh, fleeting breath of error, you've got a place in eternity with Jesus. Your time is coming where the temporal will be no more. And your security... Is in the promises that guarantee, that establish you in not being a slave to the temporal, being a slave to the world down here, being slave to the things you can see, to the to your own health. A slave, people right now are slaves to their own health, their own happiness. They're struggling because they lost that one thing in their life that they were hoping to hold on to, and they can't regain it. And no matter how many times they pray, it's still not happening. And they got so struck, stuck in the the struggle of the temporal, that they lost the reality of what it means to be free from it. And Jesus is just trying to break us free. Some of us get so worried about the next paycheck more than we do the next moment we get to spend with Jesus. So I want to say this is because security is not found in relieving us of the temporal, but in the guarantee that does not make us slaves to it. This is where being dangerous lives. This is when you and me get dangerous. This is when we're scary and we prevail against the gates of hell. Because you can't tempt me to be bound to this body. You can't tempt me to be bound to this earth. You can't tempt me to be bound to this life. You can't tempt me away from Jesus and His holiness and His perfection. You can't get me away from it. This is when you get dangerous. This is when hell trembles. Because the people of God are praying from a different reality. And so this is the security of the believer. And then when you begin to all wind it up, it says, oh, now I begin to see this is where the hope lies. And this is where the heart lies. Because until I'm there, until I'm no longer a slave to this, I need to be in tears. In tears of my own struggles, as it were. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, it says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You have spent your life investing in to the eternity of God. You you didn't let the physical nature of life hold you down. You spent and preserved what I gave to you. And you were faithful. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, Jesus had made a statement. He said, pray that your joy may be full. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything according to my will, you'll receive it. These promises start making sense to me now. These promises stand out because there's a difference of the surrenderedness of heart. I'm invested in you, Lord. And you hear in Elijah's cry, the prophet Elijah, who said, I am jealous for the Lord God of Israel. That jealousy replaces self-preservation. It replaces the desire to be personally happy about your own interests. And there's where the security, there's where the hope constantly is manifest. The Holy Spirit wants to draw us into His joy. The joy of the Lord, which is not temporal, but eternal in the things of God. I want to say, I want to think that God is just doing many things here now. I think this is a great time to end the sermon. I want to give you guys an opportunity to take communion. Because I believe that I can securely say that Jesus has accomplished everything we need through His sacrifice. Through His sacrifice. Let's go ahead and turn to First Corinthians chapter eleven. So, what I want to do here in the break of this ending here is we're gonna. Um, I'm gonna have the worship team come back up here in a minute. And I'm going to come down to the front and I'm going to um, have the elements out and I want to serve each one of you. Um, I want to be able to enjoy the presence of each of my brothers and sisters as we take communion today. Um I want us to take time to enter into what the Lord has for us. As we read these verses and we share in this time of communion, I want you to come as the Lord gives you that sense of release. And I want you to take as much time. I want you to take as much time as you need with the Lord right now. Every one of us are at different levels. Some of us are in a place where this is a great message, but for us it just hasn't quite touched that point of reality. God wants to do something right now. The Holy Spirit is here. How many of you know that? How many of you know the Holy Spirit is here? And I want to say this, that for some of us, it's a time to be joyful. There's different points in it forever. Some of us, it's that time to just take hold of, Lord, you have done wonderful things. The community in my heart is shouting, the Lord has done great things for them. And I'm shouting, the Lord has done great things for me. Let's take this time to soberly take this opportunity before the Lord and intimately draw near to him. Oh, at this moment, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And then I'm going to read these verses.